Welcome to Walk in Truth. These are the Bible teachings of Pastor Michael Lance, equipping you to reach out with God's truth to all people and how to apply that truth to today's issues, trends, and culture. You can learn more about the program and our church when you visit walkintruth.com. Now here's part two of Pastor Michael's teaching in Exodus 18, 1 through 12, called Good News of Great Joy. Jethro was hearing what God was doing in Moses' life. And this is a consideration for those of you who are taking notes. Maybe your family member is going to be more open when they start to see and hear what God is doing in your life. And other people might start to tell them. When they start to see the fruit in your life. Jethro heard about it. Now you might say, how did he hear about it? Well, in the ancient world, the caravans would spread messages And uh, you could imagine that Jethro was probably closely listening for news reports about what was happening in Egypt. What Jethro knew to our knowledge at this point was that Moses told him, I'm going to go back and I'm going to check on the welfare of my people. That's Exodus 2. I don't know if Moses later or at some point or was conveyed to Jethro shared the burning bush experience. I don't know if He said, God's called me to be the deliverer and I'm going back to confront the Pharaoh. Can you imagine being uh, Moses' father-in-law? You're going to go do what? You're going to go confront the most powerful leader of the known world and say what? Let my people go? But that's what Moses was called to do. And Jethro, in his humanity, might have been thinking, well, we ain't going to see him again. (laughs) Can you imagine that? I'm going to go to challenge the president of the United States. I'm walking in. Let my people go. That may not go too well. We all want to have faith and believe, but, you know, Jethro might have been thinking, what spoke to you? A bush that was on fire? And, you know. Well, anyway, Jethro, through the caravan messages, was hearing about this Moses and about what God was doing through the plagues and Just write this down. You've heard this before. Joshua 2.10, Rahab, a citizen of Jericho in the promised land, says, we've heard, Joshua 2.10, how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan and so on and so on. Here's the point. News was spreading about Moses and namely God's incredible miracles through what, uh, through Moses. And so basically, he had heard all this good news. And you can imagine if Zipporah was there early on, then everybody, you know, they, they would have been looking for news reports desperately to find out the welfare of this man that they cared about and loved. Raul is the name of Jethro earlier. It may be a tribal name, but his name means friend of God or God is a friend. And whether you're a worshiper of the true God or not, God sent his son to save the world. He so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son. He loves the world. He loves Jew and Gentile. He loved you while you were yet a sinner. And he wanted you to be saved. That's why you're sitting here right now. So whatever the spiritual condition uh, of Jethro may have been, uh, he certainly has been hearing stories of God's glory. And Jethro, Moses' father-in-law too, took Moses' wife Zipporah after he had sent her away. Now, when did this happen? Well, if you go, if you've been with us through the studies in Exodus, you might remember a very strange scene in Exodus 4. Moses is walking along with his wife and his son. At this time, he only has one son. And God, it says that God wanted to kill Moses. And you're like, say what? 
And his wife, Zipporah, quickly circumcised their son, Gershom, took the foreskin and threw it at Moses' feet. Something I would not recommend at a circumcision service. And she said, you're a husband of blood to me. And we're all like, what does this mean? Well, we certainly know it's a cutting away of the flesh. The spiritual picture is we gotta, we gotta let the flesh die. We gotta cut it away, whatever else it meant there. There are scholars that believe that right there, Zipporah was so upset with Moses and he with her that he sent her away. And some rabbis and scholars take the Hebrew word shalak to send away as a divorce. They believe, this group of scholars believes that Moses divorced Zipporah and said, go back to your father. I don't think that's what happened. Because he's, she's going to be called his wife in the verses to come. I believe they're still married. I believe he sent her away for another reason. What would the reason be? Some would hold that as Moses, it does say that Moses mounted uh, an animal, a beast of burden, and took his wife and son to Egypt. Uh, somebody like John Calvin said he thinks it would have been uh, wimpy of Moses. He would have been a hypocrite had he not taken his wife and son because it would have been sent a message that he didn't really believe that God could deliver them. Whatever the case, some believe that as the plague started, Moses said, take our son and go home. And I want you to be protected. Something like that. And some believe, third option, that as they move closer towards Mount Horeb, which will be Sinai, that Moses then said to his wife, go visit your dad with the boys, go visit a grandpa, and then come back and we'll reunite. Those are the possibilities. But either way, we know Zipporah had some time with her dad, with grandpa for the two boys, and they were separated. I was thinking uh, if they had been separated for a long time, the picture that came to mind is, I'm sure you've all seen these uh, Surprise moments where a veteran comes off the battlefield and surprises their family at a different event. And the emotion when a veteran returns home and is safe and you can actually hug one another and kiss one another is so beautiful. And and I believe that's maybe what we have here. There's a family reunion behind this. And maybe, you know, on a human level, they didn't expect to see Moses again. So her two sons, of whom was named Gershom, he said, I've been a sojourner in a foreign land. We just get a little bit more about Moses' family. The other son, this is the first mention of him, was Eleazar, named Eleazar. He said, the God of my father was my help and delivered me from the sword of Pharaoh. Now, Pharaoh's, I'm sorry, Moses' children's names tell his faith story. In ancient Israel, and the Hebrew culture, you would typically name your child on the eighth day after their birth on the day of their circumcision. That's when Jesus was named. And Jesus was given the name Yahweh is salvation. His name shall be called Jesus or Joshua. Moses' children's names tell the faith story of Moses, but more specifically, the grace and glory of God in his life. So for those of you who, you know, when you think about a name of a child, this is how how they did it in Hebrew culture. Names had great significance and they often told the face story of the parents or maybe even the family. Notice Moses says, God has been my help. That's the meaning of etzer, it's helper. It's used in the book of Genesis as a wife will be the helper or ally of her husband. 
And he names the second child Eleazar. The God of my father was my help and he delivered me from the sword of Pharaoh. I don't know how as a Christian you can avoid, and you shouldn't, you should want to rejoice and build your family around your faith story. It's the most important thing that we have. It's the thing that's going to last the most. Amen? Is what God has done in our lives. So this is what Moses did. And Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, there it is again, came with his sons and his wife to Moses in the wilderness where he camped at the Mount of God. So they move. They're on their way to visit. And he sent word to Moses, I, your father-in-law Jethro, am coming to you with your wife and her two sons with her. Now, the major thing that I get out of verse 6 is that if you're an in-law, let people know when you're going to visit. This is a major exegetical interpretive point of verse 6. If you're going to come over, give people a heads up. Amen? Can I get a witness? You guys are kind of quiet. What's going on? This is a major theological point. And you may want to qualify. How long are you staying? Do you intend to eat my food? Things of this nature. All right? Clarifications are very important. So this is the lesson here. So, <laughs> so he let him know he was coming. So Moses went out to meet his father-in-law. And notice, Moses bowed down and kissed him. And they asked each other of their shalom, literally, of their welfare, and went into the tent. How have you been? How are you doing? And Moses' deference to his father-in-law is amazing because Moses was a great man. In fact, I would argue that Moses may be the greatest man on the earth at this time. And Numbers 12.3 says he's the most humble man on the earth at this time. And if you were a great man in that culture, you did not leave your tent to go out to greet somebody else. They came into your tent. Moses might send a message like this. I'm signing books right now. I don't have time to go out and meet Jethro. Come on. I'm a famous guy. I just delivered the Pharaoh of Egypt and his or I just defeated them. The Pharaoh of Egypt and his army. I'm a great man. I'm signing book deals. I'm signing the book of Exodus. You know, I'm going to be the author of the book of Exodus. That'll come later. But Moses doesn't do that. He has humility. Listen to this. 1 Peter 3.15. Sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to give a defense for the hope that is in you, the reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do this with gentleness and respect. Moses could have closed the door to the witnessing opportunity if he had been proud. I don't have time, right? I'm not going to get up and greet him. He went to his father-in-law and bowed before him and kissed him which is a cultural sign of deference and respect. Now, let me address the parents for a second. Wouldn't it be nice in a culture that's becoming more and more disrespectful if we gain back some of this? If, Dad, you taught your sons to give a firm handshake, not a wet noodle handshake, and look people in the eye. How about if we taught our sons, and I'm going to talk about sons because I have three sons, to properly stand up when the lady enters a room. How about just some signs of respect to those who are police officers or those who are in authority, like teachers and you name it, that we show humility and deference, that we teach that. That's a long lost art, don't you think? 
You'll hear more from Pastor Michael in a moment. Listen to our podcast mini-series, A Step Closer. In these series, Pastor Michael Lance and others on the Walk in Truth team discuss topics we face in our life from a Christian perspective. Our next series is called In His Image, A Case for Life in a Post-Roe v. Wade World with guest speaker Scott Klusendorf from the Life Training Institute. You know, sometimes we as pastors think, oh boy, I don't want to get distracted. I want to stay tethered to the Great Commission. And I agree, we should be about the Great Commission. But the question is, what does the Great Commission teach? The Great Commission teaches that we are to disciple believers. What does that mean? Well, Jesus told us in Matthew 28, we're to teach them to obey all that Christ commands. What is one of those commands in Scripture? We're not to shed innocent blood. Exodus 23, 7 teaches that. Proverbs 6, 16 to 19 teaches that. Matthew 5, 21 references that. So when we speak about abortion, which is the shedding of innocent blood, we're not distracting people from the Great Commission. We're helping them align with it. You can listen to A Step Closer on walkintruth.com. Or you can subscribe and follow Walk in Truth on your favorite podcast app, like Apple Podcast, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and many more. That's Walk in Truth's A Step Closer on your favorite podcast app. We'd love to see who's listening, so please connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Just do a search for Walk in Truth Show. Now, back to Pastor Michael Lance, right here on Walk in Truth. How about if we taught our sons, and I'm going to talk about sons because I have three sons, to properly stand up when the lady enters a room? How about just some signs of respect to those who are police officers or those who are in authority, like teachers and you name it, that we show humility and deference, that we teach that? That's a long lost art, don't you think? And it's something that we got to get back. And Moses is a great example of this. Moses is a great man. He could have said, you know, I'm riding high. I'm a big shot now, but no. And I think his humility opened the door to more uh, openness of Jethro. That's what I think your humility will do in certain situations. You might say to somebody, I don't know everything, but I'm, I'm learning the Bible and this is what God's done in my life. And this is what this Bible verse says and it gives me hope. You know, people are looking for hope. And if they know you have a little humility in approaching them, you might be much more open to what you have to say. Now, some of you may be wondering, but hold on a minute. There's no verse about Moses hugging his wife or even patting his sons on the head. What is up with that? Because if I, in the Western culture, had not seen my wife for weeks or months or even years, she's the first person that I'm going to hold for a while. She's prettier than Jethro, I can tell you that, for sure. But she would be my priority. But this is not a sign of disrespect. Moses loves his wife and he loves his kids. And I think it's implied that he certainly hugged them and welcomed them. But he, he did the cultural thing first, which is the patriarch of the family was to be greeted and honored and invited into the tent. And that's what Moses did. And I'm sure then he took care of greeting his wife and children. And Moses told, the Hebrew word is literally, he proclaimed, or he was proclaiming to his father-in-law all that the Lord had done to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians for Israel's sake, all the hardship that had befallen them on the journey, and how the Lord had delivered them. 
If you want to share the gospel effectively, it needs to be God-centered. It doesn't mean that you don't tell some of your story, but Moses' focus is on what the Lord has done. Amen? This is what the Lord did. He doesn't say, yeah, man, I figured out how that staff works, and whenever I pointed at something, wow, yeah, I got this down now. None of that. Because Moses knew at first at the burning bush, he told God, send somebody else. He told God, I can't talk. I'm, I'm not your man. Moses knew who he was. And so he talked about the Lord. When I witness to somebody, I want to tell them what the Lord has done for me. I want to tell the story of his glory, how he delivered me from a life of sin. I also don't want to hold back with people listening to the gospel the fact that there are tough parts of the Christian life because Moses shared, look at eight, all the hardship that had befallen them on the journey. He gave them the whole enchilada, or if you want to use the southern way of thinking of it, he gave them the biscuits with the gravy. That was supposed to be funny. Anyway, um, <laughs> he didn't hold back the tough parts of the journey. And I think when we sit with a friend and we have an opportunity to expound on what we're saying, we may say something like this. Now that you've opened your heart to the Lord, you need to know some things. You have an enemy. You're going to deal with the world, the flesh, and the devil. You might expect in the next couple of hours a spiritual attack. You are going to have to deal with your flesh. And there's going to be times when you disappoint yourself. And you're not going to have it all together in the first week of your Christian life. And that's okay because we have a thing called grace. And we might want to walk this out a little bit more when we're spending time with people. Amen? And that's what Moses did. And Moses had much to share. Imagine, he probably talked to Jethro for hours in rapid fire. Yeah, I went to the Pharaoh and I said, let my people go. We had centuries of bondage, taskmasters, harsh treatment, bricks without straw, 10 mighty plagues, blood, insects, frogs, disease, hail, darkness, a darkness that could be felt, but it was light where we lived. The blood of the lamb on the doorpost and the lintel, protection and redemption, the death of the firstborn, people crying everywhere in Egypt, a triumphant exodus from Egypt with treasures and triumph. Then the Egyptian army, the Red Sea, God opened it up. We parted. We went through on dry ground. Wow, wow, wow. Here's some pictures on my cell phone. Look at that. That's a whale in one of the walls of water. Look at that. I mean, he had so much to talk about. The whining and provision, whining and provision, <laughs> The attack of the Amalekites holding his hands up with the staff, the help of Aaron and her. Hands were up, we were winning. Hands went down, we were losing. Hands up, winning. Hands up, down, losing. He went through all of this. And Jethro heard it. And Jethro had to be smiling, man. What amazing things the Lord has done for you, Moses. Could you imagine that God would use you in such a way? And notice what Moses is doing. He's just simply telling the story of what God has done in his life. That's what we need to do. That's the idea of a personal testimony. And Jethro rejoiced. Here's the response. He literally delighted over all the goodness which the Lord had done to Israel and delivering them from the hand of the Egyptians. And so Jethro said, blessed be the Lord. He uses the covenant name Yahweh of God who delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians and from the hand of Pharaoh and who delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians. Blessed be the Lord. He was rejoicing. He was happy. He was glad. All of a sudden, Jethro says these words, Now I know that the Lord is greater than all the gods. Indeed, it was proven when they dealt proudly against the people. Now I know the God 
of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is the true God. In 2001, I was on a mission trip to Nepal and India. I was in a hotel. We did a pastor's conference for about 50 pastors in India. I had done my speaking portion and I'd gone out into the lobby and there was a hotel worker, a young man, probably in his early 20s, who was there. He had a delightful smile and I wanted to witness to him. So I, I tried to share the gospel, but we couldn't understand each other. And my translator was inside in the pastor's conference. So finally the translator came out and I said, oh good, come here, come here, come here. And, he, and I shared the gospel with this young man and he received the Lord on the spot and got down on his knees in the middle of this hotel room or hotel uh, lobby. And he opened up his heart to Jesus. It was a glorious moment. Now, you know, I'm 20 years removed from the moment. And his name was Benud. And I said, Benud, you need to understand something because in India, what they'll do is they'll add Jesus to a multiplicity of gods and goddesses that they believe in. Oh, Jesus, yeah, I'll, I'll just add him on. And I had to tell Benud that you have to forsake all of the other gods that you've embraced as false. You have to recant and deny them and trust that Jesus is the one true God. And I watched him hesitate just for a moment. And then he said, Pastor Michael, that is what I'm going to do. And he recanted all of the false worship in his life and opened up his heart to Jesus Christ. You've been listening to Good News of Great Joy, Part 2 on Walk in Truth. That's Pastor Michael's teaching in Exodus chapter 18, verses 1 through 12. If you missed any part of today's program or parts 1 or 2, you can listen to Walk in Truth on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And could you please do us a favor and encourage a friend or a family member to listen to Walk in Truth on this station? Or if you're listening on podcasts, could you click the share button? If Pastor Michael's teachings have been a blessing to you, then hopefully they'll do the same for someone you care about. Thanks so much for spreading the word about Walk in Truth. Now, here's Pastor Michael with a final word. Maybe you feel like sometimes when you've shared the gospel with somebody, and maybe they've even uh, made a profession of faith, and then they go through a tough time, and you watch somebody going through a tough time. Maybe they've been making some specific prayer requests, and uh, God doesn't seem to be answering, or uh, he doesn't seem to be answering in the way that they would hope. That's a very real challenge, especially when we've been the one to lead someone to faith. What do we do? Well, here's where we have to have, I think, a good rounded theology. You see, um, God is God and we're not. I know that's an obvious point, but he uses testing and trials to shape us. He is the King, the Lord. We follow him, not the reverse. There are some very difficult questions and very perplexing situations in this world. We're not going to say that there's not. What do we do then? I think when we observe people in these situations, when they've learned that God is taking them to an ultimate destiny uh, beyond this world, that God can even exploit our pain and suffering and draw us closer to him, and even others can be drawn to the gospel when we go through our own trials, it kind of gives a different perspective. Don't feel like you always have to give every answer for everything that goes on. Sometimes just your quiet presence is enough. Sometimes just praying for somebody and saying, you know what, I don't understand every angle of this, but I'm here and I'm praying for you. 
And I know trusting God is the best thing that we can do, even when it doesn't all make sense, is really um, what we all need to learn. And uh, I've watched God graciously do this over the years. And, you know, when you stand with someone, you when you bear one, another, one another's burdens and fulfill the law of Christ, you may not have all the answers, but just being there and being a solid friend, brother, sister, uh, speaks volumes. This is Pastor Michael Lance. We're going through the incredible book of Exodus right here on Walk in Truth. And we're in chapter 18, and I'm excited that you're along with us. If you're new to the program, welcome. If you've been listening for a while or you're a partner, prayer partner, financial partner, both, thank you. Uh, and, and I say that from the bottom of my heart. Thank you. You are making it possible for us to reach thousands of people week in and week out on your local radio station through podcasting. Uh, the number of countries that we're reaching humbles me, amazes me. And uh, we're grateful. The team is grateful to you. So keep praying for us. Keep telling a friend about what you're hearing. Uh, we're excited to see what the Lord's doing with this ministry. And uh, Lord willing, we'll see you right here tomorrow as we do a part three on good news of great joy. I pray that the joy of the Lord will be your strength. See you tomorrow. Remember, Walk in Truth is a listener-supported ministry. Your financial partnership helps us broadcast on this station and provide the podcast for free. Also, more people like you can dive deeper into the Word of God and apply it to their life. Please consider becoming a Walk in Truth monthly partner of at least $10 a month, or you can give a one-time gift. Please visit walkintruth.com to give. And join us tomorrow for part three of Pastor Michael's teaching in Exodus 18, 1-12, called Good News of Great Joy. I'm Mike Massaro. Thanks for listening to Walk in Truth, where it's our goal to equip you to reach out with God's truth to all people.